Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, welcome to the Friday edition of The Call here on Ausbiz Australia's only live streaming business and markets channel. Great to have your company for the next hour or so. As I say, this is The Call, 10 stocks suggested by you. I put them to an expert panel. Uh, we do it all from here at our Barangaroo studios and a great panel uh, joining us today. Uh, one of my favourites, these two have always a lot to say particularly in that small cap area, which uh, it's so hard to get people of knowledge in that area. I am talking about Luke Winchester from Merriweather Capital in uh, Newcastle and Claude Walker from A Rich Life. And where are you? Are you from uh, Canberra today, Claude? Yeah, we, we are back in Canberra today, actually. We had to take the dog to, to the vet for his uh, routine baby dog vaccination. So um, <laughs> today in Canberra, back at the coast from this weekend. <laughs> oh, I'm, uh, I'm loving it. Um, Luke, any vaccinations, um, animal or human in your family at the moment? Um, our little girl actually had her four-year-old vaccinations last week. So there you go. Oh, Maybe that's the theme of the show today. There you go. <laughs> no, is she a, no animals is she, for us. Is she a daycare, a kindergarten? Uh, she is. And, and that's what I've loved about the, this COVID pandemic is we were catching worse stuff from her at daycare before yep. it was all shut down. We've actually been a very healthy household since... Um, since COVID started. <laughs> <laughs> I know, they're like little Petri dishes, aren't they? Daycare and uh, kindergarten, blimey. And then it goes around the family. Hey, we've got a lot uh, going on today. In the first half of the show, we'll be covering Veeam, uh, DGL Group, Zero, that's an important one, Amiro and DW8. So uh, I thought I'd take a look at um, for our stock of the day to kick things off at Whitehaven Coal. Uh, came out this morning, cutting its full-year production guidance 5%, thanks to staff shortages due to COVID. There's an every business going through that at the moment. And also weather-related uncertainties off the back of La Nina. Uh, output in the second quarter took a hit, down 23%. Uh, though the outlook for metallurgical and thermal coal prices will be a tailwind and well-supported over 2022. So uh, what does the team think of this? Uh, Luke, you know, you're in the close to the hunter. This is your, uh, your backyard. What do you think of uh, Whitehaven's update today and also the share market's been smashed today? Yeah, well, you know, Newcastle built on the back of coal. Um, Whitehaven does a lot through the port here. Um, it's, it's a mixed bag of an update. Obviously, the production stuff is, is um, not great for Whitehaven, especially when you have elevated prices. It would be nice to maximise production and get the full um, you know, benefit of those higher prices. But um, look, it, it's not a surprise. You know, we saw the headlines of those Gunnedah floods um, a few weeks back. So not a surprise that the upper hunter there, there were sort of some production issues. And I, and I think as investors, you can probably look past that a little bit. 
Um, the big question becomes over coal prices moving forward. The, the business is pretty bullish on that outlook, um, partly because of um, restrictions in Indonesia, restricting global supply. And, and look, I mean, you know, this is a business I, I, I hadn't looked at it for, for a while, to be honest. Um, and, and they mentioned in this update they expect to be net cash um, in this coming quarter, um, February, February, March. And I thought to myself, I was like, this is a business that had a, a lot of debt last time I looked. So I went back and had a look. And at the end of financial year 21, they had $800 million in net debt. Um, so you're talking about wiping off nearly a billion dollars in debt in a bit over sort of eight, nine months. Um, you look at the market cap today, about $3 billion. Run those rough numbers. This is printing about 10% of its market cap every quarter at that sort of the current coal prices and production levels. Now, wow. you know, we know the space and, and, and I think Claude will probably touch on it a bit more than, than I will around the ESG and, and um, the issues these guys face as, as, you know, maybe a terminal decline of, of some of their, um, you know, some of their uh, customers they're supplying to. Um, but but look, you know, as value investors, if, if you're looking at a business like this, you're not talking about a long period of time where you could get a payback on your investment. Now, is management committed to returning that capital? Um, I, I think so. Uh, last time I checked, you know, they've, they've committed to, to dividends and stuff. Maybe not as much as you'd like to see, given the cash that's being printed. But it's good to see they're obviously paying down that debt. Um, look, it's not for me. I, I don't have a huge ESG overlay to to my investing, but I must admit coal is, is one thing I've, I've never really looked at. And mining in general, I suppose, but, but coal's specifically on those numbers though if you're the sort of investor that is willing to look past the ESG um, and, and can sort of have a bit of comfort around the the, the coal price moving forward um, I think you can step in and buy it today but like I said not not for me just for a certain type of investor that understands sort of what they're getting into okay uh, Claude this you you've got pretty strong ESG filters in your investment philosophy don't you so um, what do you think of Whitehaven coal and I I understand you know, it's um, terminal, that uh, energy sources are, muse- uh, are moving away from fossil fuels. That's going to take a long time, isn't it? And on the other side of it, there aren't going to be too many new coal mines built over the next 10 or 20 years. So dwindling supply, yes, it's on the way out. But gee, does it still have some value from an investment point of view now? Yeah, so from an investment point of view, I think I probably agree with uh, Luke. Um, but it is still very important to think um, carefully about where the profits are going to come from if you do invest in Whitehaven Coal. Generally speaking, if we uh, talk about buying a, a you know undervalued investment, the way we, we can make the money in two different ways. One is that the market realizes it's undervalued, say, says, oh, hey, let's not let this be undervalued anymore, bids it up, and then you can sell for a profit. And then the other way is that you just hold on to it um, super long term and get the dividends and the free cash flow coming back to you, or maybe the company itself buys back shares. That's sort of what we've seen with tobacco companies over the last decade or so. Essentially, um, you know, the fact that they've had cheap shares because lots of people avoiding them for ethical reasons has allowed um, investors to make good money off them. I think Whitehaven Coal is, you know, as close as you get to sort of a tobacco style situation there where it's clearly trading at a discount to where another industrial company with the same level of earnings would trade because it is a coal uh, company. But what you've also got to remember is that the chances of you getting a re-rate based on oh, people deciding, hey, this is undervalued, we're going to bid it up, they, that is not particularly high. Like That's possible, but over the long term, it's not super likely 
because everybody knows it's undervalued. Everybody knows why it's undervalued. And this is when we start have to start thinking about flows, right? Money is flowing away from this kind of activity because people about around my age, around Luke's age, our generation has have a, a drastically different approach to um, investing than past generations have. In the past, it's very socially acceptable to um, you know make money in coal mining. Now, um, you have a, a minority who uh, sort of think it's uh, you know very clever, and you have a majority of just the ordinary people who are like, no, I I want to make money in a different way than that. Yep, and that is putting in place the settings for when millennials take political power to crush these kind of companies from a regular point of view. First, we get our money out of them, then we crush them. That is the plan. That is what millennials have to do or our whole planet is going to burn. So step one is take your money out of these companies. Step two, once we get political power, we crush them with punitive taxes. We make them pay for the damage that they're doing that is currently a negative externality. The the mine sites that are ruined, the farmers nearby that don't have access to water, and of course, the terrible emissions that are going to make the world unlivable for our children and grandchildren. So step one, take your money out. Step two, crush them, crush them. So I don't want to be holding it when the crush happens. Um, so for that reason, I would avoid it. Okay. Claude, uh, can you be a bit more straightforward? Um, and, not, and not be so wishy-washy? Uh, <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I do agree. I do agree it's cheap on the numbers, right? So I think it's, yeah, there's I a possibility that you get paid by dividends. But what I would right. say is that the analysts have the earnings out at, at, at 30 cents per share, even in 2025, but the dividends only at 13 cents per share. So I would say this would be a, a real obvious buy if the company was committed to paying out all of their earnings, right? Because right. then they would pay off, pay you your money back really quickly. And I think maybe that's the end game for this yeah. kind of company sure. is actually do pay out all your earnings, but we're okay. not there yet. All right. Um, Adam, uh, our first stock that uh, viewers uh, want to view on. Adam uh, wants a view on Veeam. Luke, you're our uh, uh, in-house expert on Veeam and ha- have been for a year or two. Uh, Adam says, I purchased small parcel shares back end of 2021 as part of my speculative basket. Uh, it's since come back 20%, as is the volatile nature of microcaps, interested in the long-term opportunity that this engineering company presents. It's got a, a marine pro, a propulsion and stability um, technology, doesn't it, uh, Luke? Uh, I think the first time we came across it, you pointed me to a YouTube video on exactly what it did and became a yeah. lot clearer. <laughs> yeah, they do the, the marine gyro stabilers, a flick yeah. of a button and a, and a boat can sort of stop rolling the tide. Um, look, Koshi, it, it's one, I, I actually sold this business and I'll run through the timeline of, of what happened and um, I, I still have it on my watch list and I'm still I'm still liking it and, and maybe to answer Adam's question, long term, you know, there's reasons why I'm doing that. but. Just rewind. So this is one I used to own and, and um, previously said buy on the call and, and definitely like the stock. Now, um, back in uh, mid-September, they undertook a, a capital raise, which is fine. And, and um, yeah. the, the founders also sold down to that raise, which I don't begrudge them. You know, they own 60% yeah. of the stock and they continue to own 50. It's, yeah. it's sort of what happened shortly after It's a after family, that, isn't it? It's a family business. Yeah, yeah. Veeam is actually the initials of the, of the founding family. Um, and they they then had their AGM update in mid-November, um, so only a couple months later, 
And there was essentially a downgrade there. There were no fin- no hard financial numbers, but the language sort of indicated the business had, had seen some issues. And some of them, I suppose, were a bit forgivable. Like most WA-based businesses have had issues around skilled labour. And um, that's a theme you've seen consistent for a, a lot of WA-based um, sort of skilled trades. Um, but then the other one was sort of talking about um, issues around um, conformities on, on the um, propellers and stuff that they produce. And, and talking about they've rectified them, but there'll be some 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 sort of hit to the margins around that. And then uh, also commentary that the gyro sales had been a bit lumpy over the past couple of months. And so you sort of bundled all together. It was a pretty disappointing update. And, and you sort of wonder how much of that was known when they did the capital raise and, and the sell down. Now, mm-hmm. I, I actually... I haven't completely written this stock off. Like I said, I still have it on my watch list. It's still one I would but like. It sort to of undermined right your confidence the way they did that. It, it did, and I think more than anything, I don't think it's an untrustworthy management team. But I think they've learned a lesson in how to time these things with the market. Right. Um, yep. You know, it just the, the optics were not good around the timing of it, and, and I think that they'll learn their lesson. And arguably, they have. They, they put out another update in December, sort of saying they've seen conditions already start to pick up, and it looks okay. And so, look from a long-term point of view, Adam, if you have sort of ridden it down to, to where it is now, sort of in that 80, 80 90 cents range, um, I'd continue to hold it because I think the long term is still very strong. I think the gyros is a nice, big addressable market that they're very early to. Um, from It goes back to sort of Claude's point of Whitehaven was a good one, that in the short term, the flow of money dictates these things and that happens in micro caps as well. Um, they just have to get the market back on side and, and arguably right. I'm a participant, you know, a bit like that myself. I just need to see them come back and, and bring some 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 trust okay. and, and, and some, um, some faith back to the market. So um, on my watch list, if you're there, I would still hold it. Okay. Rebuild the trust. Claude, view on Veeam? So um, Luke did actually cover a lot of the points that I was going to make about this one. Uh, So I won't, uh, you know, repeat everything he just said, but I would add that when you have this situation that uh, where the founders sell down, so they went went from around 60% to around 50% of the company, right? So I think it's a pretty big sell down. It's their first big sell down since it was listed. They've timed that sell down pretty much when it was at the highest multiple, close to the highest share price it's ever been. And that has slotted that shares to like everyone who wanted them. Plus they've then gone and raised capital um, so that they've got even more cash. Now this is a company that sort of supposedly can be profitable and um, doesn't actually need cash. So I don't know if it was sufficiently well explained why um, they need to actually raise more money then. these guys could have definitely, you know, controlled this company by not raising money and paying out dividends. And then they would have got cash back to the family that way as well. So again, like, I don't really know if I buy the, the sell down um, as being anything other than the fact it was they were offered a, a good price for shares, right? But they say, mm-hmm. oh, it's about improving the liquidity, uh, blah, blah, blah. I think it's going to be quite a long time before they overcome the, um, the overhang from those shares. Now, look, I will say on the, on the good side of things is <clears throat> that they've pointed to the fact that with their, you know, basically they've been moving up the scale to try and make higher profits. They want to make um, bigger gyro stabilizers for bigger boats where there's less competition or indeed no competition, right. right? So they've not only have they managed to succeed in doing that, they are proud to announce that they've also managed to have repeat orders from these uh, customers for these larger, um, these larger gyros in um, USA, Netherlands, and Italy. So basically, 
what that points to is maybe this strategy of moving into the larger ones, which should be more profitable in the end, um, albeit more lumpy. Maybe this strategy um, is working. So that's why, I, for me, I definitely need to leave, leave this one on my watch list. Definitely mm. something that I would, would buy. But what happens is when you see one of these situations where the, the, the price gets high and the company issues a bunch of shares and sells down, what that means is you've got to be very careful when you're buying. Well, for me, I have to be very careful that I'm definitely buying at a low price. So, you know, currently I'll be I'll be waiting until the share price is lower before I buy or I just won't buy it at all. And that's fine because I'll always be scared that these guys won't let the share price like run right. up heaps and hold on. They'll probably look to sell um, if, it, if it gets too high. So, you know, that's not exactly what I'm looking for. And but having said that, a decent investable company, one for the watch list. It's just too expensive for me right now. Okay. All right. Um, Luke, Catalina wants a view on DGL Group. By the look of it, it's a company that's in the sort of dangerous materials, chemicals area, the transport, storage of it, uh, warehousing. Yeah, it's a pretty recent float, only sort of mid last year and um, not one I'd actually looked at too closely, but ticks a lot of boxes. I mean, um, you're, they're in that sort of chemical um, around the whole life cycle of chemicals, basically, mm. from the manufacture of chemicals to the storage and logistics all the way through to disposal recycling. Um, and if you read their presentations, they seem to have done a very good job of um, having a network nationally around the country. And it seems that it's a bit like a clean away or a bingo where having strategic locations you know in the right places is a, is a moat in and of itself for a business mm. like this so having the scale and the locations um so there's a lot to like the the founder still owns 60 percent of the business um and and unlike veen which we just spoke about it's actually a good little dichotomy here he was on market buying an extra sort of 500,000 shares in in sort of mid to late december so um a lot of confidence there um it's not cheap, about 17 to 18 times um, sort of EBITDA, which I don't actually love EBITDA as a metric for a business like this because it is a little bit capital intensive. But nonetheless, let's let's go with that for a second because if I compare that to a cleaner way, um, who I think is a sort of a peer you could look at, it doesn't look crazy. Um, I, I have noticed they've been very acquisitive since listing, like you know May, May last year, and they've already made six acquisitions where – Normally, my red flag indicators go up when I see something like that where a business is so acquisitive. I would actually hesitate to say it's probably not as big of a red flag for a business like this when you have a 60% founder still in the business. Um, That sort of thing worries me if it's a CEO who doesn't have those sorts of ties to the, you know, it's not a business that he wants to see around for sort of 50 years or the rest of his life. Whereas this founder, I'm sure really be thinking through the strategy and the long-term vision of this business every time he makes an acquisition. And it does seem that way when you read them. So, um, look, I, I, I do, like I said, I've only looked at it getting this list, so I don't know enough to say buy to Catalina, but I'll definitely hold. I don't think the valuation's, mm. like, it's super crazy. Um, okay. The business looks really strong. You've got that founder there. There's enough there for me to, to definitely say hold to someone if they're already in it. Okay. Uh, Claude? Yeah, so actually DGL Group is one that I own uh, a few shares in myself. Um, it's it's not a large holding because basically, as Luke says, it's very expensive. I I would just plain um, use earnings for for this one as a way of valuing it, and um, based on uh, the you know the current forecast for FY twenty twenty two, it's probably on about seventy three times earnings, which is just like way too high. But what wow. you're looking for here is um, 
sorry, that's that was the FY21, and it's still 45 times on you know my forecast of or the or the consensus forecast of FY2022, right? Which is really still quite expensive for what it is. But what we're looking for here is a situation where by rolling up these diff uh, these different specialty chemical uh, businesses, the company is able to get um, operating leverage, and because this is an asset asset heavy uh, business with you know a distribution network of all things it is quite likely that we will see some of that um operating leverage come through which means that profits can grow faster than revenue so that means even though it's on 40 arguably 43 times um profit for fy 2022 that should come down in future years as they execute okay. against the strategy and then the secondary point which is actually if i'm honest part of the reason that i sort of um perhaps somewhat opportunistically bought in and I'm still holding, even though this hasn't really been a massive winner for me, is that um, DGL Group's Australia's largest uh, producer of AdBlue, uh, which um, the, the the press was reporting um, has actually like quadrupled in price in some areas um, in mid de- in mid December last year. So um, basically, you know, at the moment there are even accusations of price gouging and that kind of thing. It essentially, you know, it sounds like one of these guys are the supplier of something that's in short supply. And right. that is potentially a profit, um, you know, it's potentially a marker that there's going to be slightly higher profit than expected. When you combine that with the like high insider ownership and even insider buying, it makes me think that the, the business has good momentum. Perhaps it's going to come in ahead mm. of expectations a little bit in the short term, which should mean it shouldn't be too bumpy. And then if the roll-up strategy can actually work, you have a longer-term okay. thesis where it can grow into its valuation. So are you well. like, Luke, like, hold hold rather than buy at these levels? For me, it is actually a, it's like a sort of speculative buy. Like it okay. probably is going to go down if interest rates keep going up. We're in a rocky market for these kind of growth stocks at the moment. So, you know, I would be very, I just dip with toe in the water, right? But because I think okay. this is a, a fairly good quality business, it's it's one that I'd be willing to build up if the share price does come down, as long as they're executing it and staying above okay. it, above where right. they said they'd be. Perfect. All right, Luke. Uh, Will wants a view on Zero, the uh, uh, the small business uh, accounting software um, platform. Will says quality company, capital light, scalable, uh, with a global presence. Since the start of the year, the share price is down 35%. Is it time to buy the stock under 120 bucks? Uh, this was a market darling for so long, but um, as Will was saying, has taken a bit of a thumping, hasn't it? Mm-hmm. It's, it's definitely a quality business and, and Will's highlighting all the reasons why. It's, it's that capital light. You've got a, a huge addressable market globally that they're you know, genuinely entering into. Um, so, you know, I, I think it is probably one of, if not the highest quality business on the ASX. Mm. The issue was always valuation. You were paying sort of 20 times recurring revenue, which was, was expensive no matter how you wanted to sort of overlay the growth on top of that. Um, it's, it's had that pullback. I actually came on, the, I went back and had a look. I was on the call um, back in early December and I said, hold. Um, the price has fallen, fallen since then, about sort of 15, 20%. But um, one of the things I was highlighting back then, and, and the business hasn't updated since then, so it still is, is you know, accurate, is I just need to see more US traction with this business. And, and one yep. of the things I highlighted was revenue growth in the US was below their user growth, meaning they're, they're struggling to pass on sort of 
price increases and if anything it signals sort of price decreases and that's likely to do with the competition they have over there with Intuit which is the established player in the US market um, been a big jump in expenses in FY21 um, now that either needs to normalize now or they really need to show the growth on the back of it the market I think has forgiven them for that that jump in expenses but um, you know if you're going to do that you need to see the the benefits mm. flow through so they'll be reporting soon um, I, I, I still think it's a hold if you're there will um, you know it's, you said it's below 120 it's a time to buy Claude's touched on it we're just not in the sort of macro environment where you know you want to be stepping in confidently to a stock like this um, now, what can quickly change that is a good fundamental result. So I would just hold it. If you're on the sidelines and you're watching the price pull back, I don't think you have to jump yep. in. Wait for that result. Wait and see what the numbers are and reassess from there. Yep. Claude? So this is another one that – so I own a little bit of Vero shares. I actually think it's one of my smallest holdings. And the reason I own it is because Zero is, in my view, top three quality businesses on the ASX. So – when I see a business that's such high quality, I kind of tend to always want to just have a little bit in my portfolio because they're the business I watch closely and want to make sure I bought it. You know, like I bought this right. in March 2020 when when there was a big sell-off because for me, I, I, fly, I like want to buy those quality long-term businesses when they're cheap. However, you know, what what is cheap for zero? Well, I would argue that at this point in its, um, you know, evolution where it it's really quite dominant in Australia and New Zealand and um, it's got plenty of room to grow in UK and, and it's almost struggling to grow in the US. You know, it's still fairly expensive based on the last half it was operating revenue of about half a billion. So if we just sort of very roughly and albeit a little conservatively because it will grow, say it's making about a billion a year. Well, it's, um, you know, it's market cap. In, I'm talking in revenue and, it, and it's going to be like about break even. It's market cap is about 17 and a half times that. So it's still kind of expensive there, but yeah. you know I would not expect to see zero trading at much below ten to twelve times revenue, even even in a big sell-off. So certainly, if it came down another twenty-five percent from here, we're talking maybe under a hundred dollars. That's when I'd think right. you know all else being equal, that's when I'd start to buy again. Um, so for now, it's just a little bit too expensive to me. Okay. Other than that, you know, I, I agree with Luke's comments on it. Um, but for me, it's it's going to be still a hold and then a, a below sure. 100 is probably when I get interested. Okay. Uh, Shibnit wants a view on uh, Amero. Um, Shibnit says, recommended at higher prices. Like to get thoughts on it. Is it still a buy with a significant pullback from 55 cents not that long ago? Um, they're sort of 3D manufacturers, aren't they? But, but in part specialising in in aviation and um, the space sector. Uh, Claude, what's your view on Amero? Yeah, so my view hasn't changed in the last year. So actually I was on I was on this show with you, David and Rudy about about a year ago on yep. December 11, 2020. Um, so a little more than a year ago. And the stock was at 57 cents then. And, you know, Rudy said he wouldn't touch it with a barge pole and I more or less agreed. At the time I pointed out that they had in the last quarter made receipts from customer of just 72 thousand dollars right well yeah. fast forward a year and in the most recent quarter they made receipts from customers of um dollars so we're still yeah. talking like you know less than that a less than you know a knowledge workers wow. annual salary per quarter this is really not much of a business yet in my view they recently announced they had a head heads of agreements with gilmore space technologies which sounds very exciting um which 
is a three-year term and expected to deliver revenues of that's not profit revenues of 1.7 million um total revenue so that will be you know again less than a million dollars even if this comes through it's less than a million dollars revenue revenue uh, per year meanwhile mm. um based on the last quarter they had 3.5 million um dollars quarterly cash burn and eight million dollars cash so the way i see right. it is um these guys don't really have their main business is raising money from the share market and um that's still their main business for the foreseeable future so they're going to get out there and they're going to talk about sell lots of stuff they're doing about exciting things about how good they are and everything but the main thing the main game for them is just get money off mm. investors who believing in the dream yep good and point. i don't believe in the dream until i see until i see some solid evidence yeah luke um have you got a dream um as in regards to amero uh not quite koshi and um right. i sort of noted that point when um when shivneet said it was recommended at high levels i, I don't know who recommended it but certainly i, I Straight away thought to myself, it wouldn't have been Claude, Claude or I. Um, look, you know, I remember these guys listed. I rewind maybe two or three years ago. 3D printing was a you know mini boom yeah. on the ASX, and that happens every now and then. We had cannabis, we had lithium the first time, we had crypto back then. You know, and, and you get these little pockets where the market gets excited. A few a few companies who were early stage in that market list. Um, most of them, you know, wind up going to nothing, which Amero looks like it's going that way, but let's wait and see. A couple sometimes make it and, and, and you know, it all sort of flushes itself out. Um, having a look at them, it, it looks like they're still doing a bit of that 3D stuff, but it looks like they're trying to pivot to just the supply of titanium powder um, for right. other manufacturers. That could have some legs, you know, that's a, that's a real product and, and, you know, I'm sure there's a market there for that. Um, you know, it's, it's about getting to that and, and the capital needed to do it. Um, as Claude pointed out, the, the, I was about to say client list, you can't really call them clients. It's all memorandum of understandings and heads of agreements, but, but some of those names are impressive, Boeing, Raytheon, Rio Tinto. Um, I, I agree with Claude. My, my main takeaway was there's more raises here. The revenues are tiny in, in the next six months, there'll be a raise. I'm not, that's not my sort of stock. Um, you know, I don't mind a, a bit of speculation, but I always try to come in when I think that last capital raise is out of the way. The spectre of a, of a capital raise is no longer overhanging the stock um, and a business can sort of self-fund yeah. self okay. itself moving forward. So not for me. All right, uh, Luke, Adam wants a view on DW8. This is sort of like an investment fund, isn't it, into uh, uh, businesses, uh, digital or technology businesses in the beverage uh, market. They own a stake in Wine Depot. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think I'd heard of this stock, like the, the ticker before, but I never really looked at it. And when I read the description, it sounded interesting. You know, um, Wine Depot is a, a cloud-based tech platform to connect yep. stakeholders in the wine industry and focuses on like a marketplace solution, inventory management, logistics, um, payments. Um, that's that's interesting, and I'm sure there is a software you know like that across. Or if there's not, there's a, a good sort of market fit for that. What got me though when I looked at the stock was the numbers don't match the the narrative in a sense. Like if you have a look at this business, they do gross margins of 3.5 percent. Like <laughs> that's you know you'd expect that from a like a fixed price mining services contractor or something like that. Or they probably do more right. to be honest. Um, and that actually, sorry, that was that was FY20. It actually fell to 35 basis points in FY21, um, despite 400% revenue growth. Um, I I had only looked at this business, you know, yesterday and this morning, so I may be missing something. But to me, that's not a cloud-based business. A cloud-based business, as Claude, you know, would be well aware, 
software businesses can you know should be 80 85 90% gross margin um, yep. you know that's the, that's the real thing you look for with a cloud based tech business is the scalability over over a common platform i don't see it here um, there's there's growth but the growth is coming through the burning of a lot of cash and a lot of capital um, and i think there'll be another raise soon so not for me um, look maybe if you knew a bit more about the product you could you could hold it but um, yeah unless you have that I, I, it's probably just a sell and, and a move on Okay, Claude, DWA, is it for you? Oh, no, certainly not. But I, I think Luke did a great job, but he maybe missed a few things, but they all just make the picture look even uglier, if you ask me. <laughs> okay. um, you know, first of all, I agree with what he said. And second of all, um, you know, on top of that, some of this growth has been through acquisitions, right? It's not that they have a product that's so compelling that people are, you know, flocking. It's, well, I mean, maybe it is compelling, but that's not driving the growth. Um, the growth is being done by acquisitions, which has taken advantage of, you know, the ability to raise capital at what I would argue is a very generous, um, you know, a very generous valuation. Now, but like, I think we've got to look at that chart. We all saw that massive ramp, right? Mm. That what yep. was going on there is this is a this was a Reddit meme stock. Okay, this was uh. extremely heavily promoted on ASX bets and also on a lot of the very very uh, promotional. Um, facebook pages that i right. um that i monitor and it also has had like tons and tons of uh coverage on a website that i i won't um talk about but uh, other than to comment that that website uh discloses at the end of all of its articles there may be a conflict of interest present with commercial arrangements with companies and or stock held i couldn't no. tell if the company actually has a commercial arrangement with digital wine ventures i couldn't see where it said that or not but it might be there so I, what I think here is we see the picture of, you know, a stock, a stock that has been very heavily hyped and now yeah. it's sort of gradually coming down. And, you know, in a sense, if you want to understand what's going on with stock, you know, one of the mistakes I sometimes make is to apply my fundamental analysis to a instrument of speculation that has actually got nothing to do with the fundamentals of the companies. That's why... You know, for some of these companies that are now $2 billion, I was saying, hey, it's got no revenue. It was undervalued at $1 billion. Well, what's happened? It was overvalued at $1 billion. You know, what's happening is it doesn't matter what the company's worth because this, the stock is being treated as a speculative asset. Yeah. Um, and, and it's just short term. It's a voting machine. The market's yeah. a voting machine. Only long term will it weigh. And now if you look at the voting machine, if you look at Reddit posts from a year ago, they're all like, oh, DWA, wow, just wow, you know, it's amazing, they love it. Now the Reddit posts that are getting the, getting the um, upvotes, uh, you know, things along the lines with, you know, DWA going live on eBay now, have a drink, help a bag, bag holder, you right. know. Um, okay. and, and, you know, it's just right. even more amusing ones that I won't say. So <laughs> I think that the worm, the worm has turned there. All right, just got rorted. All right, let's uh, recap our first five stocks and the stock of the day, Whitehaven Coal. After its update today, uh, neither Luke or Claude uh, uh, like it um, on ESG filters and also the future for coal. Um, Veeam, a hold from Luke, um, a no from Claude, but has it on his watch list. Uh, DGL, uh, maybe... um, a speculative buy from uh, from Claude, a hold from Luke. Uh, zero, a hold from Luke. A no from Claude. If it got below $100, then he'd start to be interested. Amero, no. And DW8, a no. Um, 
In this half hour, our next five stocks include Tissue Repair, Kogan, Zeotech, uh, FOS, FOS Capital, and TZ Limited. All right, um, Jeffrey wants a, a view, Luke, on Tissue Repair. Um, he says this company has just done its IPO, got hammered. Um, it's about to start a phase three trial and is almost uh, cash backed. Um, this, of course, is a biopharmacal company in the tissue repair, uh, chronic wound, cosmetic procedure, aftercare market. Uh, as, as Jeffrey's saying, only recently listed. Yeah, yeah, um, in that wound care space. And we have a few on the ASX, yeah. which, you know, um, it, it's good to see, I suppose, we have these businesses. Maybe sometimes they don't all provide massive investment returns, but they're businesses we hope, you know, succeed in what they're, they're, they're doing with the product. Um, the float, look, I, I can't comment too much on the float other than the price suggests it was either handled poorly or the timing maybe didn't work. Um, it, it quickly got, <laughs> there's the chart there, yeah, wow. $1.15 was the issue price. And, and, you know, you're talking like two months later, it's, it's more than halved. It, something has gone wrong. I, I can't comment on what that is. I don't actually know. Um, Jeff's correct in the sense it's close to cash backing. It's about a 30 mil market cap and they raised, you know, with proceeds from the IPO, they've got about 27 mil in the bank. They will start eating into that cash though, Jeff. Um, Admittedly, cash burn up until this point, I I went and had a look at the prospectus, has been pretty, um, you know, conservative. I think last year it's only about $800,000 they burnt. I expect that will really ramp up as they come into the phase three trials and look to bring this product to to, to viability and, and to the market. Um, so, so, so don't invest in a business like this just because of that cash backing, because I suspect it will, it will come down sharply. Um, for me, you have to have some sort of insight into the science here, which I just don't have. If, if I look at this financially, you know, peers like um, Polynovo, um, uh, I can't, top of my head, I can't remember the others, but you know, there's probably two or three, uh, Oroa Biosurgery, there's a couple of those wound cares. They already have products in the market selling. It's, it's easier for me to look at them. Like they may be expensive, but there's numbers I can value. Something like this is just too speculative unless you had a really strong view on the science behind it, which yeah. I, I don't have. So yeah. for me, it's an avoid. <clears throat> um, but look, you know, like I said, if you're willing to do a bit of that work, it's, it's something that could be interesting just from a market mm. dynamic on how far it's been sold down. Okay. Claude? Uh, yeah, no. So I won't add heaps to that because Luke has pretty much nailed it. I'd say that um, I'd add to this that people should not anchor to the IPO price, right? The IPO price is what they managed to find a, a group of buyers that would be willing to pay when they were sold a story. Um, the, the price that it trades at on the market is the price that you get when there are buyers and sellers, you know, creating an equilibrium. So, you know, the IPO price is gone now. Like, forget about that. This is the price that it's at. And basically, it's it's had really unlucky timing. Like, if you look at the um, biotech index in general, um, it's down massively, I think, almost 50% over the last year, and then another 25, 30% in in the last few months. So there's going to be an element of just really tough timing here. And then in terms of the actual product, look, they they themselves in their materials say, you know, these kind of it's like a a, a wound gel to help close chronic wounds. You know, I'm sure it could help some people, and and that would be great. But there hasn't been very many um, new products in this uh, category approved over like a, a long period of time, which right. maybe means that it's hard to do. And okay. they um, also may not have yet enough money to actually get it all the way through to commercialization. So that means there might be more dilution along the way. So it's too risky for me. Okay. Um, Claude, Olivia wants a view on the, uh, on the on- online retailer Kogan. 
during the week. Uh, share price hit uh, a 12-month low on Wednesday. It's down um, 35% in uh, the last six months. Up today, when the market's being smashed, a, a rebound from that 12-month low. Uh, what do you think of Kogan? Kogan's never been a a really favorite business of mine. I basically think that uh, perhaps management's paid a little bit too generously. And uh, basically, I don't I don't think that their offering is uh, is that good. And I think, you know, on a long enough scale, like these guys have to compete much more with Amazon and also, you know, other companies that are also in that e-commerce space. Like there's no rule that says they're, you know, Kogan can't face new competition. So long term, I sort of feel like actually the era we're in right now, they're having maximum advantage for being a first mover and that that is going to uh, go away very slowly over the next decade. Secondly, what we're seeing in the last year or even longer is basically just like the massive come down from the fact that these guys had a perfect moment in time when the (laughs) uh, pandemic first impacted society, we had to go and buy like almost everything online and a lot of the other retailers were not so well set up for online commerce. Kogan was already perfectly set up. They didn't really have to change anything. They were ready to rock and roll. So they had a massive advantage. On top of that, um, everybody had so much more money because of JobKeeper, JobSeeker and all that kind of stuff. Nobody was hard up. Everybody was actually mm. buying stuff, TVs, etc., to make their house nicer because they were going to be spending a lot of time there for the next year or whatever. So they had a really perfect moment in time and the share price just got completely crazy and out of control. And in my opinion, there's, you know, there's going to be a really long period, like perhaps they'll never get back to those highs, you know? No. And so for me, uh, this is generally, I am kind of bearish on retailers at the moment. Um, increasing interest rates is not going to be great for the consumer spending. Um, facing the pandemic now without JobKeeper and without JobSeeker, that's not going to be good for the consumer spending. And also this is the argument that the pandemic just brought forward a lot of those purchases. Sure. So um, overall, I'm bearish most retail, but including Kogan. Okay. Um, Luke, it's interesting uh, from what Claude was saying, you look at that five-year graph, and it's back down to the level just immediately prior to being hit by the pandemic and that that March crash in 2020. So it certainly retraced mm. a lot. Um, what do you think of it at the moment? Yeah, yeah, that's a chart. You know, you, you can find a lot of those charts of, of COVID winners that have just done the round trip back to where yes. they were pre-COVID as, as everything normalises. Um, Claude did a really good job of covering the macro things around Kogan and, and I guess consumer discretionary in general. Um, I'll probably pile on a little bit with just the numbers around Kogan, which, you know, this was a business that had inventory issues caused by some of those um, things that, that Claude outlined around they stocked up and, and then um, demand didn't quite come through like they expected, forced a little bit of discounting and took a hit to the margins. The last couple of updates they've given to the market, they've sort of suggested, or the commentary has suggested they think they're through those issues and the business you know, is set to recover. But you haven't seen in the numbers yet. And, and even their last update at the AGM was through to the end of October. Um, prior to that, they gave a quarterly update through to the end of September. So you know, you're able to get a snapshot of what October looked like as a standalone month by subtracting the, the AGM update from the, the quarterly update. And October continues to be impacted despite, you know, management sort of hinting they thought they were through those issues um, 
you know, a few months ago. So, you know, as an example, um, in October, um, gross margins were still flat. Um, EBITDA margins continue to fall from 3.5% to 1.5%. So mm. until I actually see the recovery come through in the numbers, I, I can't really step in and buy. Like I know when you see a chart like that, as Claude sort of pointed out with tissue repair and the IPO, it's, it's only natural to try to anchor yourself to where the price has been, but you can't do that. You have to focus on where the business is now and where it's going now. And the numbers don't support the share price moving higher. Um, if you've written it down and you sort of have, have you know, researched the stock and, and believe where it can go over the next few years, you can probably hold. But in the current environment, given the macro and, and given the weakness in the actual numbers, I'll, I'll probably say sell. Okay. All right. Um... Uh, Luke Stewart wants a view on Zeotech. Now, th- this is a, uh, a mining-based technology, isn't it? I can't quite understand what it actually does. Uh, they, they, they talk about producing sponge-like structures, and it's for the, uh, the gas and, um, and petrochemical industries. Uh, but they're working with the University of Queensland, so it's a new technology. Yeah, I was hoping you could shed a bit of light there for me, Koshi, because I was, I was much the same. I had never heard of this business and I saw the chart first and, I, and my first thought was, I bet this is something to do with like lithium green tech or something like that. And, and I was right once I, once yeah. I dug into it. Um, so as best as I can tell, and, and again, I, I you know, caveat this that I only sort of looked at this business for the first time yesterday. Um, these guys, their technology is around synthetic zeolite, which obviously zeotech is where the, the name of the company comes from. Um, and that can be produced through um, kaolin or as a, as a byproduct of, of lithium. So, you know, you're arguably taking a byproduct of a, of a um, you know, processing of lithium. With that synthetic product, you're right, it has sponge-like characteristics. And it reminded me a bit like Calyx, um, who developed, yes. um, you know, some, some technology around... Um, um, that carbon uh, capture. Yeah. Carbon capture technology. Yeah. But you can take your core IP and try and move it to all different sorts of verticals and solutions. Yep. It looks like these guys are trying to do the same. They've got this core IP around, you know, the, the Zeo lights and their sponge-like capabilities, and they think they can be used in a range of different of different processes. Now, look, whether they can or not, wait and see. It's it's too speculative for me. Um, you know, you get a bit of comfort from their partnerships with the universities. Most, you know, tech or research that comes out of universities is, is usually genuine. Whether it can be commercialised is another question, but the, the tech's usually interesting and, and there's usually something there so that gives you a bit of comfort um, it's still so early on in the process one thing I, I don't mind though is they're looking to move up their supply chain or, or down their supply chain I'm not sure the right term there but they're, they're actually um, you know uh, buying a cowl in mine to feed into into the the production of the zeolite so that you know makes a bit of sense um, you know, a lot of buzzwords was, was one of my main mm. takeaways. Like I said, it's too speculative for me. If you're willing to do some work around the tech and, and get some comfort about what it is and what it can do, I'm sure there's some big addressable markets there if it works. So, you know, maybe a, a speculative hold for people who have done that work, but otherwise you're probably just punting on an idea. Yeah. Claude? Yeah, I think, you know, look, this is definitely, in my view, uh, punting on an idea. You know, these zeolites, they're the catalysts, they're molecular sieves, they're all these things. But um, they're also still supplied, from what I can tell, by, you know, people in China as well. So it's not like these guys are going to have some, uh, you know, exclusive thing that, that, as I understand it, like there's going to be alternatives to these guys. It's not like they've got something that people are, you know, dying for. Same time, they have... You know, they, they sort of seem to be everywhere in terms of like what they're aiming for. Um, lithium refinery, clean tech, carbon capture, carbon capture and utilization, uh, carbon markets, nutrient management, 
mycotoxin absorbance um, that's in agriculture. You know, they've got all of these potential uses for their product, which they don't really have yet, and they don't have any meaningful revenues, no receipts from customers at all in the last um, quarter. And, you know, here are my notes, you know, I, I've got it saying a, a $2.5 million cash burn last quarter, but only like around $6 million cash. So hmm. I guess they're going to yeah. run out of money soon, soon as well. Oh, I think it might have been per year, sorry, that cash burn. But the point is that, um, yeah, look, it's, it seems super, super risky. And it seems to be that the main reason that you buy shares is that you're hoping that the narrative will take over and um, the, the share price will go up because, you know, it's ESG or because it's got something to do with lithium or whatever. But, you know, okay. that's just such a punt. All right. Um, Claude, let's go from Zio Lights to uh, traditional lights. Uh, Malcolm wants a view on... FOS Capital, they design, engineer, and manufacture uh, commercial retail and industrial lighting. Yes, that's right. So this is a really like simple business that you can understand much more easily. So uh, they are, you know, a company that makes but also orders in. So they'll they'll resell, but they make some of their own lighting for industrial and, and large scale, like maybe street lighting for or, or yep. huge buildings, that kind of thing. Um, they can either order in, but there's also certain lines that they make themselves, they manufacture themselves, then they distribute that in Australia and New Zealand. And what I have, to, this is kind of interesting, because this is a tiny micro cap, and I own some, I would have mentioned, I actually own a, a few shares in this, as just sort of a wait yeah. and see um, approach. Now, basically where they are at the moment is they're still burning cash, like in terms of their historical results, they're still burning cash, and they're not really making a profit yet. Uh, however, you know, since they have the whole point of them um, listing uh, is that they were able to then raise some capital so then they could actually um, buy other companies and roll up and get a little bit more scale. Right. Um, and right now, they are forecasting a huge increase in revenue going forward. Now, based on their FY21 results, excluding IPO costs, um, they would sort of break break even or very mildly positive um, profit, right? So that implies that if they can just, through acquisition, get a little bit more scale, but keep the costs under control, then their profit could pop up quite sure. considerably. And in that scenario, this tiny little company, which I think is about $13 million market cap or something, could suddenly you know, start making 2 or $3 million profit, and then it'd be on like five times earnings. Now, that's the upside. Of course, this is, again, such a tiny little company. If, for whatever reasons, costs blow out, you know, may they have supply chain issues, whatever it is, it can go the other way. And suddenly, my little profitable company that's supposed to be really cheap is actually just, it's blowing up because it's not making a profit anymore. Right. That's the yep. risk you run with these tiny businesses. So, but I think well, that the risk-reward is good. Buy. So, I like it. Okay. Yeah, I mean, but it's just, you've got to keep in mind, it's speculative. The way you really sure. make money out of these is if you if you own it, and then it actually gets bigger and safer and the downside risk reduces at the same time as um, mm. you're already making money because it's become quite profitable and probably okay. even, you know, fund more yeah. growth then and it, and it sort of snowballs. That's what I'm hoping for. All right. Lou? Um, this was one I'd never looked at closely before, despite 
being a micro cap and, and the sort of business that I like to own, as, as Claude said, it's pretty boring. It's just a lighting contractor. Um, and when I looked at it, Koshi, I think you've got the only two panelists today that would, would put this stock in the portfolio. I think most would just say it's too small and, and not look at it, but you've got the micro cap guys on. So yep. um, I agree with Claude. I think it's it's speculative. And, and, and look, an institution can't come and buy this stock today. Like, you know, if you were to, to pay up to 25 cents with the IPO, there's about 20 grand worth of stock to buy. So, you know, but but for, for um, individuals at home and, and they've you know, got a small portfolio and, and are willing to speculate a Little, and when we say speculate, we're not talking about like tissue repair or zootech before. Right. The speculation, as Claude outlines, just comes from the size of the business. Um, yeah. But but everything else looks good. I mean, insiders own 65% of the business, um, 10 mil market cap, 5 mil cash, a chunk of that's from the IPO, of course. Um, slightly prof- profitable FY21. But I agree with Claude. If, if FY22, they're looking for revenue to nearly double. And if those margins hold, which you'd expect them to hold and maybe even grow a little bit given yep. the scale you'd get over that sort of revenue growth. It's a business that can easily do sort of two to three mil profit relatively quickly. Right. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, if not FY22, maybe FY23. So I, I say I say speculative buy Spec as well. Buy. Um, spec buy, plenty of small acquisitions, Claude outlined it, I, you know, put in the portfolio. Okay. All right, excellent. Um, and our final stop, we're running a bit at a time. Um, uh, Luke Sol wants a view on TZ Limited. Uh, extremely thinly traded, has a few major clients, has some tailwinds behind in in Sol's opinion. Um, it is a, um, a software company for, uh, by the look of it, controlling um, um, sort of logistics and, and business expenses. Yeah, so I'll keep it brief, Sol, but this is a business on my watch list. I, I don't own it, but it's mm. it's a business that could be interesting if they can, can execute over the next couple of years. So very quickly, these guys um, do smart lockers. Um, so, you know, they'll sell a, a bunch of smart lockers to, a, to an enterprise client, um, and then they have some software behind that which allows them to be open remotely, controlled remotely, or, or you right. know, access paths to different people. There's a bit of smarts behind the scenes, obviously, you know, in, in the smart lockers themselves. So okay. the, the business was selling those lockers. New management's come in and is looking to take the software behind the lockers and, and distribute that externally. So open up their software to, to other brands of smart lockers or um, companies that, that have their own um, uh, sort of suite of lockers, but they, they don't have those smarts yet. If they can execute that, it looks really interesting. Um, you know, for uh, last quarterly was cash flow positive. Bear in mind, they still will be lumpy as long as they're still selling the actual lockers themselves. That that is yep. a sort of lumpy sort of cash flow nature. On my watch list, um, it's 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 a you know micro cap that well and truly could be a bigger business if they execute. So, mm. um, yeah, look, if you, if you're actually there already, I'd continue to hold it. But but for anyone else, just just keep an eye on this one because okay. if they can do what they want to do, it, it turns itself into a to an interesting little business. Hey, Claude, what do you think? Uh, look, I I agree with everything that Luke just said. Uh, but I will sort of add that um, these guys are, in my view, still in like a, a desperate risk stage. So like they recently um, did a, a capital raising to cover the remaining debt and general working capital. So basically, like the, the fact that a loss making company has debt at all is just way too risky for me. The fact that they sort of have to do these desperation capital raises um, to, to cover that is also a red flag for me. And then the final point is these guys have actually been listed quite a long time. They have $16 million revenue um, and they still don't make a profit. So right. for me, it's been too long of good promises, but no delivery. So yeah. now I'd be a bit harsh and I'd want to see that profit. 
Okay. Claude Walker from A Rich Life, have a great weekend. Appreciate your Thank time. Thank you for having me. Likewise, Luke Winchester from Meredith Capital, always good to catch up. Thanks, Koshy. Good on you guys. Uh, they're terrific, aren't they, as, uh, as a pairing, one of my favourites. Uh, uh, recap the final five stocks, tissue repair, a no from both, uh, a no from both on Kogan, same with Zeotech. FOS Capital, speculative buy from both of them. Really interesting, that one. Tiny business, microcap, but uh, they like what they see. And uh, TZ Limited is on Luke's watch list. A hold from him, a no from Claude. Uh, that's it for uh, our show for today. If you've got any stocks you want to flick through to us, uh, do it via email, uh, thecall.osbiz.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.